Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. Podcast. Over there is Mr. Two Frames. I'm the L Train. We're your hosts of this special edition of the modern Western movie Madness. Yeah, episode 76. Episode 76. We're going to give, at the end of the show, our top five picks each of uh, modern movies. You're listening to the dulcet tones of Ineo Morricone. So, uh, this was the guy I mentioned last week who is scoring The Hateful Eight for Quentin Tarantino. All right. It's his first movie score in 40 years. And he is probably, other than uh, Yanni, this is probably the only other famous pan-flautist that you could ever recognize. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. He uh, provides the tones for many of your traditional Westerns. The song, the music for many traditional Westerns. So a lot of people say that the uh, soundtrack for the film that we're reviewing this week is reminiscent of Indio Morricone's music. So, All right. But we're going to begin the show with a little review of last year's film, The Salvation. film was uh, written and directed by Christian Levering. Who's in it? Uh, Mads Mikkelsen stars as John Jensen. He is uh, meeting up with his family, and he's going to bring them to America. He, I think he's been there as a settler with his brother, who I thought was uh, was Ben Mendelsohn. It turns out it's a guy named Michael Perez-Brent. Yeah, apparently he originally, uh, Mads wanted his brother cast in the role, but his brother was unavailable. They are working together in America in um, 1800s, late 1800s, mid to late 1800s. And uh, he's met up with his family at a uh, train station. And then they get into a covered wagon and then they're riding across the plains to their home. Sadly, there's someone else on, on the wagon with them. And then that person plays a crucial role that leads Mad Mickelson, uh, character john jensen into a state of revenge so without spoiling too much yeah just a classic western trope the the lone survivor who has to get revenge winds up back in a a small town small village and the villagers turn their backs on him 
Yeah. He has to go it alone. Uh, very much like High Plains Drifter, an homage to that. And High Noon. Yeah, High Noon. This uh, person that he has to deal with is played by Jeffrey Dean Morgan, Henry Della Rue, who is sort of like a mob boss leading a town or whatever, uh, an adjacent town or an adjacent village. The person that actually leads the village is a preacher slash sheriff. Mm-hmm. And then there's a, a mayor slash uh, sort of a, what do you call those guys? Undertaker, mortician. Undertaker, mortician guy. He's played by Jonathan Price. I thought he was excellent in the movie. I thought that the secondary characters were a lot better than the lead character, Mads Mikkelsen. I did, he, he seemed more like a cipher. I, I like Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, he's probably most well-known for his role in Casino Royale as the main Bond villain. Uh, he also just finished up starring as Hannibal the Cannibal Lecter in the TV show Hannibal. He's going to be he was in wonderful a, in that. I think he's going to be in the new Star Wars uh, spinoff, yeah. Rogue One. And uh, I think he's rumored to be in um, Doctor Strange. Yeah, I think he's going to play the villain in that too. Uh, he plays a great villain. Yeah, sadly he's not cast as a villain in this. So he doesn't have as much uh, to work with. Uh, the character that he encounters, who was sort of an original character for uh, Western movies, one of the things I liked about this movie was the fact that I wasn't able to really to see where it was headed at all times. I know that it played a lot on uh, Western traditions and some of the symbols that you would see and some of the common themes of revenge and uh, the journey and the quest that you'll see in a lot of Western movies. But this character, played by Ava Green, sort of shifted that around. She's a, Her name is Madeline in the movie, and uh, she has a unique character arc. So that was one of the highlights of the movie, I think. Yeah, I'm a huge fan of Eva Green. Uh, she's probably best known for playing the Bond girl in Casino Royale. She's probably best known for showing most of her body in her movies. Yeah. Right? She, uh, she's not... She's unafraid. She, she she approaches most movie roles like uh, European women approach the beach. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's French. I think she's a very underrated actress. She, she's French? Yeah. Oh, okay. I didn't... She, she is French. Okay. I didn't... I didn't know that. I thought that, that was like a, you were saying that, throwing it out there as a pejorative or something. No. <laughs> Just she, saying that as a short answer. She's a French actress. Okay. Uh, I did her not first know starring that. role was in uh, The Dreamers. Okay. I didn't see that. Yeah. I did see her in Sin City. I saw a lot of her in Sin City. <laughs> but she's best known for her work as, uh, in White Bird and a Blizzard, which came out a couple of years ago. Uh, some of the other things I liked about this movie were the... I think that the visual style worked well, but it was a drawback for you. You seem to have a lot of problems with it because of the 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 media that they use. Yeah, this film was uh, done digitally, and there's just something about the way westerns look when they're filmed digitally that I don't like. I recently watched Slow West, a film you've talked about before on the show, and that was done digitally. And I, I don't know, there's just a weird look that it creates. I really want the warmth of film when I watch a western. Generally, though, digital doesn't bother me, but this time it did, and there's some weird filters. I think we're going to talk some more about that. Well, I wonder that why. Applied to this. It's interesting to me to note that this bothers you, because normally I'm taken out of the movies visually um, when they have those mistakes, and in those two movies, I really wasn't. Like, I didn't have the same sorts of problems. I'm not saying that they're, they're not there, they don't exist, but it just seems like the movie compelled me to watch it without really consideration of what may or may not have been going on, and that the visuals were really important to both movies. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think the director of this, uh, Christian Levering, says that he's he's paying homage to a bunch of old westerns, and he talks at length about how important visuals are in telling a western movie, and so for it to be a, a weakness for you seems surprising to me. Not that it's invalid, just surprising. Well, I mean, to me, I noticed the special effects, especially you know, in the backgrounds, where most westerns, you know, they would shoot these things for weeks, if not months, and they would wait for just the perfect conditions, you know, get all the clouds out of the sky, you know, just wait, and then they would shoot, and everything would be perfect. And it was a struggle to film these, and I can understand why a modern production wouldn't do that. It's an easy way to go over budget, where now you can go, oh, okay, the weather's not great, we'll just fix it in post, and I mean, that is a valid response. You know, if you, if you have a hard budget and you've got to get this thing in on time, you know, you can't go over by weeks and months. Yeah, sure. Go ahead and do it. It just, I notice it. It bothers me. Uh, the other thing was there's a lot of night shots in this. Mm-hmm. And they're doing something weird with the filter. I think they're trying to invoke an homage to uh, uh, when they used to shoot uh, night for or day for night, mm-hmm. like in the 1950s and 60s. Probably our audience is most familiar with uh, Romeo and Juliet, where they do that at the end of the film when Romeo rides into the cemetery, mm-hmm. and you can notice everyone has uh, huge shadows under them. Yeah. So happens a lot in the Searchers, also. Yeah, that, that's another prime example, and I think they were trying to do that a lot in this film, but because it was this weird digital filter instead of a chemical process like they used to do. I I don't know. It did create an atmosphere and it, it, I guess it kind of worked for me. It was kind of a dream, like uh, those night scenes, especially, but in some of the wider vistas, Uh, there there was a special effect using fire. Did that bother you? I thought that was some horrible fire special effects. I thought it was stunt work. Maybe later on, but at at least at the very beginning, I, No, I, I, I was laughing at how bad. I mean, and granted, fire is very hard to do uh, well with special effects. Huh. It's very easy for it to come off as cartoonish. Yeah, I, it didn't. It didn't bother me at all. But that, I tell you, maybe I, I. I don't really. I can't understand why it didn't bother me, because it should have. The Avengers bothered me. The Avengers that that sort of contrast between realism mm-hmm. and cartoon sticks out more to me than in this movie and this movie seems like it would it it was a much cheaper budget a much lower budget oh yeah it seems like it should stick out more here but for whatever reason i guess i'm more willing to suspend my disbelief with this type of movie yeah i don't know what the budget was for this film i'm guessing it was pretty low Mm -hmm. and i think they did a lot of stuff uh very smartly to hide how small of a budget they had for this film they filmed it in uh south africa yeah um the gunfire was also very noticeable to me. That seemed to be put in a post uh, or in post. Huh. And, you know, I don't think they were using a lot of squibs. I think they were putting in the gunfire, in, yep. you know, the flash of the muzzle later on. A couple times when people got hit, it, it felt like fake uh, CGI blood to me. This goes back to what we were saying last week in terms of practical effects versus CGI mm-hmm. and how much cheaper it must be to be able to do CGI now, whereas before it would have been easy just to strap a few squibs onto somebody. Yeah, I mean... Now are we not going to have squibs anymore? I can't uh, see Tarantino not having squibs. No, but I mean, it's a lot more dangerous, you know, and you don't want an accident on set, like something like uh, Brandon Lee getting shot on the set of The Crow. Right. You know, it's just, it's safer if you have rubber guns that actually cannot fire. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if they were rubber or not, but I guess maybe. Yeah, yeah, you gotta look at it. I mean, 
mean, for the hero shots, they probably had a real gun. But most time when they were running around with guns, those are rubber guns. I'd love to be squibbed. That's <laughs> one of my that's one of my goals in life. <laughs> like be squibbed. I want to do it in class, though. <laughs> do you think that that would be a bad thing? To squib up your class? <laughs> yeah. That might be grounds for uh, firing. Yeah, that might be a little. I might lose my job over that. Did, did you see where the people got on chat roulette and they had set up a real life zombie apocalypse. video game? No, like they asked, "Do you want to play, you know, zombie apocalypse?" And if people typed in yes, they could use voice commands to control the other person on the other side of chat roulette. Is that like they walked through the cemetery uh-huh. and zombies would come out? It was all live at you. I mean, they put in some special effects later on. When they released the video, but could you imagine? <laughs> no, because I can't. Oh my gosh, release. there's a zombie on your left run. <laughs> I'm not even really sure I understand what you're talking about. <laughs> this is very strange to me. I'm old school, Mr. Two Frames. <laughs> you don't talk with random people on the internet? No, you, I don't even know what that is. You don't chat roulette? <laughs> All right. No. I'll put the video up on our uh, Twitter feed. The only time I ever talk is, is now with you. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, all right, yeah. So uh, back to salvation. Back to salvation. This is a pretty good movie. I think that uh, if I were to talk about, uh, if I knew a person liked westerns, I'd say that they should watch this movie. Yeah, there are tons of references to uh, older past westerns. So I think the more westerns you've seen going in, the more you'll enjoy this. Uh, I wouldn't start out someone new to the western genre on this. This film. wouldn't be your first movie. They say, hey. No, I, I would start them out with some of the movies that are making our top five lists. Ooh, the top five. I think we should head right into that. We don't need, need we don't really need to spoil this movie, do we? No, we don't need badges. We don't need to spoil this movie. <laughs> we don't need no stinking spoilage. <laughs> All right, so uh, top five modern westerns. There's nothing better than the top five lists, especially when you're talking about modern westerns. Yeah. We put a little, little param- few parameters on our lists here. And in doing so, we ruled out a lot of movies, a lot of good movies, modern westerns. Mm-hmm. We put the cutoff date in 1995. It's as far back as we can go. Which is, what, 20 years? 20 years. It's pretty good math for me. <laughs> uh, so that leaves off Unforgiven, which came out in 92, and Tombstone, which I think was 1994. Young Guns. Which was in the 80s, right? 87? Okay, Young Guns 2. Which was in 92, whatever, it doesn't matter. So anything that was before 1995 is off the list and out of bounds. Yeah. Uh, anything after 95 up until this year, we're considering to be a modern Western. Yes, you... and we did have to have seen it. So I think we're both pretty excited about The Hateful Eight, but that didn't make our list just right. because we haven't seen it. It's not available yet. Were there any other parameters you added to your list? Uh, it needed to feel like a western to me some of the films that i was previewing uh are set pre-civil war and they're more of a southern i feel okay so i know i wanted western you, you had to go west of the missouri so pre-civil war during the civil war yeah yeah you gotta be careful i mean you can have a western that's pre-civil war but i don't know some of them seem to be focused too much on the civil war there was a film ride with the devil right and i like it it's a good movie but to me, it's a Southern. It's, okay. it's not a Western. Um, I wanted Gunfire. Okay. That was about it. All right. Uh, did you leave off modern Westerns? Like uh, a lot of people uh, will say new, they'll, they'll throw in uh, like No Country for Old Men because it's set 
yeah, no nineteen eighty, but it's in Texas or whatever. So yeah, no modern westerns, no steampunk westerns. So Wild Wild West with Will Smith uh, kicked that off. Uh, Serenity. Some people say that's a space western. Right. I said no dice on that. Would you say? Yeah, I wouldn't have put any of those. It had to be a traditional western. Um, I really wasn't paying much time attention to the time frame for some of them. So there might be some Civil War, um, pre-Civil War stuff in here, but the Civil War wasn't a big part of my yeah. movies. So uh, I'm going to start because I have, I have to, well, I, maybe not. I don't know. I have a cheat. All right. You start us off with a cheat. Because another thing is I always, I also wanted to give five decent movies that I thought I would feel comfortable recommending to people. But my very first one doesn't really fit that <laughs> because it's just too weird and out there. So I have two for number five. But I'm pretty confident that you don't have one of them. All right. Because this one is 1995's Dead Man, which is Jim Jarmusch's uh, movie about a, a man on the run who's named account. He's an accountant, and his, and his name is William Blake. So he's sort of like named after the uh, romantic poet. And he encounters a strange North American Indian who uh, his name is Nobody. And this guy prepares him for his journey into the spiritual world. And it, it goes sort of... That's that's the the framing device for the whole entire movie, and it's just this sort of weird, trippy Jim Jarmusch sort of uh, oove starring Johnny Depp. Uh, Gary Farmer is the. Is it in color? No, it's in black and white. (laughs) Crispin Glover's in it as the train (laughs) fireman. Uh, Robert Mitchum is his final film role. Yeah. So he started in black and white, and he ended in black and white. the reason that it's on this list is because, oh, well, Neil Young did the soundtrack to it also. So it's got this weird sort of guitar vibe, this electric guitar vibe that goes through the whole thing. It's a, it's an interesting movie. It's cool to watch, but I, I don't think anybody, like, I, I wouldn't recommend it necessarily to anybody. Uh, the reason that I watched it is because Granny was a Johnny Depp completionist. And so I, I we watched it together. Uh-huh. And when it was over, she just went, huh. And then she walked off, went into her room. We didn't really talk about it that much. <laughs> Ever seen that Jim Jarmusch guy? In real life? Picture of him, yeah. No, I've never met him. He looks like a cross between Billy Bob Thornton and Billy Idol. Jesus. The giant afro. So, the, so, so dead, anyway. Dead, dead, dead man, man is your number six pick? This is number five, but it, no one would really, I would never really recommend it to anybody. But it is my top five. It's in All my right. top five favorite Fair movies. So the, the real number five that I would recommend is a movie that came out this year that we talked about a little bit before, Slow West. Oh, okay. So I don't know if this made your list at all. Uh, it did not make my top five. Because I was going to say you could throw in with me. But anyway, we talked about it um, in one of our previous episodes earlier this year back when uh, you went and watched Avengers. Mm-hmm. And I watched this instead. And I've been begging you to watch it for uh, ever since then. And uh, I think you finally got around to it, and you kind of liked it, right? Yeah, no, I liked it. Um, this is like number six or number seven on my list if I was doing, if I was extending the list out. I was thinking about my dad for this one because this would be the movie of all of these that I know he hasn't seen that I would say he should go see. It's about a young Scottish uh, man named Jay Cavendish, played by Cody Smith McPhee, who comes to America to find the woman that he loves, that he thinks loves her, Rose Ross, and he takes up with Michael Fassbender's Silas Selleck who's a reforming outlaw of sorts. Ben Mendelsohn is in this movie. <laughs> he plays uh, the outlaw Payne. And there's a lot of that 
sort of forced metaphor that, that appears in the movie. How, not to spoil your whole list, uh, but how many films is Ben Mendelsohn in on I, your list? I don't really know. I think that might be it, dude. Only one Ben? I think there might be only Mendelsohn. one Ben Mendelsohn. Oh, do you, do you have people reoccurring in many I do have some reoccurring actors, okay. but Ben Mendelsohn I don't think is one of them. Not Ben Mendelsohn. Right. Not Ben Mendelsohn. Maybe. I don't know. Right. I can't I can't remember. I'll have to wait till I get to him. But yeah. anyway, that's my uh, that's my number five pick. Slow West. Slow West? Good. And Dead Man. That's the West. Good film. The best West. All right. Uh, my number five pick is from director Sam Raimi, who's probably most famous for doing the Spider-Man films. Okay. Uh, this is The Quick and the Dead. Ooh. Yeah, this is uh, uh, starring Sharon Stone, Gene Hackman, Russell Crowe in his first American film, and Leonardo DiCaprio. What an amazing cast. I didn't know Leonardo DiCaprio was in it. Yeah, he's in there. He plays Gene Hackman's son, his illegitimate son. Is Gene Ackman playing like the Unforgiven role? Yeah, he he's in, he basically owns the town. Yeah, he does that pretty well in their inferior. Yeah, so he he's playing a uh, more evil and sinister version of his Unforgiven role. And more Sher- evil and sinister than Unforgiven? Yeah, I mean he he's really chewing the scenery. It it, huh. it borders on camp. Yeah, he's he's pretty unforgiving in the movie Unforgiven. So. But no, All right. in this, uh, Sharon Stone enters into a quick draw tournament. <laughs> well, uh, you know, a duel at high noon uh, so that she has the chance to kill Gene Hackman and get revenge. Uh-huh. And what I love is you always think of these, you know, uh, I'm challenging you to a duel at high noon, right? In mm. Westerns. And there are practically no Westerns where this actually happens. But in this movie, it's nothing but that. They're just constant duels and people shooting each There's other. A lot of noons. Yeah, a lot of uh, close-ups of people's eyes and people's hands getting all twitchy. Uh-huh. It's, all right. it's just lots and lots of shooting. Uh, I really like it. it. It's it's a little over the top. It borders on camp. But, the, I mean, that's Sam Raimi's style. Okay. So I, I never did catch up with this one, so I should put it on my list. Huh? The Quick and the Dead. The Quick and the Dead. Well done. All right, so number four for me. Number four is also another movie that came out this year. 2015 and it stars and written and directed by Tommy Lee Jones. This movie's called the homesman. It's about three women who've been driven mad by pioneer life and have to be transported across the country by a pious, independent minded Mary B. Cuddy. And she employs low life drifter, George Briggs to assist her. And this is based on a movie. I'm sorry, based on a book written by a Kirian Fitzgerald. Oh, no, sorry. Glendon Swarthout. Kirian Fitzgerald helped uh, Tommy Lee Jones on the screenplay. Fitzgerald's working on Snowden, that movie Snowden. Um, Tommy Lee Jones, again, stars as uh, George Briggs. Hilary Swank is uh, Mary B. Cuddy. And uh, Haley Steinfeld makes an appearance in this mm-hmm. at the very end of the movie. I like that Haley Steinfeld. It's, it's got among the most graphically horrifying scenes I've seen in a non-horror movie. Ooh. For me, it ranks right up there with Schindler's List in terms of having an emotional impact. <laughs> you, you had me on the hook. I was yeah. all interested, and then you, you had to go and do the uh, Schindler's List. It's among the most emotionally charged scene I've seen not involving a dog this year. <laughs> uh, I'm confused now. I don't know if I want to. I, I would recommend it. It's slow. It's, uh, it's, it's again, it's a... Uh, it's, it's, it's a revisionist Western in a sense. It's a traditional mm-hmm. Western up to a point, but then it's revisionist in its treatment of women. And it deals a lot with that question of what it must be like to be a woman in the 
fifties or sixties or whatever in the out in the plains of you know West Texas or Oklahoma or somewhere and just sitting there basically being nothing but a brood sow popping out children so that someone so that in fifteen years your man would have someone to help him you know plow the fields <laughs> that's basically the life that you had and the life that you led so this deals with the the that woman's uh plight and does it in sort of a unique way. So I appreciated some of the issues dealing with themes, but I also like the the visual style and the direction. I thought Tommy Lee Jones was um, excellent as the director and as uh, George Briggs. There's some humor in it as well, but it's it gets a little... Uh, I mean, there's some, like I said, some horrifying scenes, and then it loses its tone a little bit at the end. So... Other than that, it's a, definitely a recommended movie, and it's from 2015, The Homesman. I like my it. number four pick. Uh, my number four pick is 310 to Yuma. Mm. Uh, this stars Russell Crowe and Christian Bale. Christian Bale plays a small-time rancher who agrees to haul uh, Russell Crowe's outlaw character to the 310 to Yuma train mm-hmm. so that he can go off and uh, be tried for his crimes. And the whole movie is about trying to get Russell Crowe to this train. Uh, his gang of outlaws is trying to stop them. It's a remake of the 1957 film starring Glenn Ford mm-hmm. and Van Helfen. I don't know. Yeah. So I didn't see that one. I saw this this one though, the remake. It, it's it, got a pretty good shootout scene. The end action scene is great, and I mean, everything's building up to it, and that's one of the things I love about westerns, that you have this tension that builds as the movie goes it's on like and on. Coil. Yeah, and it just gets thicker and thicker, and you know, these guys just have to keep their cool until there's some massive gunfight at the end of the film, and this one has a fantastic gunfight um, at the end. It, it, it's very good. It's a different ending from the 1957 film. So it is even worth going back and watching the other film. Yeah, I heard what they did was I also took pieces of dialogue out of different characters and put them into different characters' mouths so that it changes the story somewhat. It's the same monologue, the same conversation, but the two people are saying it, the roles are reversed. So that's an interesting uh, take also. It makes me want to look at the original. Uh, ben Foster plays the Hand of God, uh, right? Isn't that the name of the of this sidekick or yeah, something? Yeah, his hand right hand man. Yeah, he is uh, pretty effective. Oh, he's uh, effective. He's Sorry. terrifying. Uh, Peter Fonda's in this. He's got some great scenes. Yeah. early in the film. Did you know it was originally supposed to have been Tom Cruise as Christian Bale? Yeah, character and uh, Eric Banya as Russell Crowe. Oh, yeah. I, well, that was that back when Eric Banya was a little bit more popular yeah if he, i mean he was probably coming off chopper and yeah. some other uh, maybe I, I really like russell crowe as the bad guy christian bale he's fine in this i think he's got better films other things i would point to first form but he, he does a good job it, it, it's a very well executed uh western all right so number three for me now right mm-hmm. there's another movie starring tommy lee jones <laughs> sensing a theme this came out in 2003, written and directed, or written by Thomas Edison, based on his novel uh, *The Last Ride*. The screenplay was uh, Ken Kaufman. You might know him from *Curious George*. He also wrote the story for *Expendables* too. The director of this, and I think you'll be able to guess the movie, is Ron Howard. In 19 or Hope eight, he goes west. Nope. It's called *The Missing*. Yep. 
1885, New Mexico, a frontier medicine woman forms an uneasy alliance with her estranged father when her daughter is kidnapped by an Apache Bruo. Uh, Kate Blanchett's in it. She stars as Maggie Mickelson, and a young Evan Rachel Wood stars as the daughter, the abducted daughter, Lily. Now, this movie was lauded for its accuracy by the Apaches in terms of its portrayal of events surrounding like the relocation and subjugation of their people. It was marketed as a horror film. I remember when it came out, and a lot of the original um, trailers and the the uh, marketing that surrounded it had this sort of weird, mystical, um, sort of evil creature that they were having to deal with. Uh, but it seemed more to me like the focus is on relationships, as most of uh, Ron Howard's movies are. And that estrangement that happens and that has to be reconciled between Tommy Lee Jones and Kate Blanchett's characters is the crux of the film and it really works. It really operates in terms of dealing with um, reconciliation, which is another big theme in Western movies. So uh, I like the idea also, this is another theme and, or another idea of Western movies is the journey or the trip. You know, someone goes on a, um, a quest Mm -hmm. to find something, a vision quest, or in this case, a quest for a child. And uh, it takes that and, deals with it in a little bit uh, different ways every once in a while. And uh, I think it's a, a pretty good movie. If you haven't seen it, it came out in 2003. I don't know how popular it was back then, but uh, it's worth another look. Or worth a look if you haven't seen it. Worth another look if you have. Yeah, I think it got some awards consideration when it came out. Yeah, I enjoyed it. It's my number three movie. Um, my number three, I don't know whether... It's just a fantastic Western, or if I just saw it in the right time and place. Uh, this was one I saw with my dad in theaters, actually. It's one of the few times I can get my dad to go to theaters if, if there's a good Western coming out. And I grew up watching a lot of Westerns with him. Uh, this is Appaloosa from director Ed Harris. Men like us do gun work because we can. Because we're better at it than most. You're as good as Virgil with a gun? I've never seen anybody as good as Virgil. also starring Ed Harris, uh, Viggo Mortensen, Renee Zellweger, and Jeremy Irons. Ah, two uh, old men. Yeah, uh, and Jeremy Irons, just great villain. I, I would cast him in all my films as the villain. Yeah, he's pretty good in this. Yeah. Um, this is about two friends who are hired to be the sheriffs of a local town, and Jeremy Irons is the corrupt businessman who's, you know, ruining the town, and they have to deal with him. Renee Zellweger's this... Um, widow that kind of goes with whoever's got the most power she's That's always the causing other old trouble. man i was talking about oh not jeremy Irons. no <laughs> um great film great shootouts probably the most realistic shootouts there's one about halfway through the film that i just love and i i can't go into any detail or else i give away the whole conceit but the build-up to the gunfight is fantastic is uh ed harris and vigo mortensen walk across this town square in mexico uh, Viggo Mortensen also has probably the scariest gun that I would ever want to see in the Old West. He carries around an eight-gauge shotgun, mm-hmm. which is just ridiculously wide bore. It's like those punt guns. Oh, yeah. I mean, this this is a shoulder-breaker gun. I, I would be scared to fire it. And I, I've shot shotguns a fair amount, and you know, I can handle a 12-gauge. I could not imagine firing an eight-gauge. And when he points this gun at people in the film, they get they scared. Oh, I mean, they're done. They don't want to deal with this. All right. Um, so I, I really, I, I love Appaloosa. Uh, there is some great visual imagery in this film and visual metaphor 
uh, the way Viggo Mortensen handles the gun and the direction it's pointing, you can tell mm-hmm. a lot about his character and his uh, thoughts because he's pretty quiet in this film. Hmm. But Maybe his virility as well. Yes, yeah, very much so. Uh, I think I saw this movie with my dad too. So, and then that theme is playing out in this movie as well. The whole, you know, mentor, mentee sort of dynamic. Uh, Ed Harris is going to be in the is it Showtime or HBO's uh, remake of Westworld. Oh, is I he think, in? Yeah, he's 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 behind it. He's he, I think he's playing the <gasps> Yul Brenner's role from that movie that iconic movie in the 70s that's one i I really like ed harris um i've enjoyed the films that he's directed he doesn't direct a whole lot but when he does he he always does a nice job and he has a very sly sense of humor did you see the movie uh sweetwater i haven't watched sweetwater yet it's another uh modern western i think it came out last year there's a pretty good scene on youtube that if you read the notes, they say that it's the best thing in the movie and there's no sense really watching the rest of the movie but he describes how people get to a certain place you know i don't Mm -hmm. know how much i want to tell about the movie but uh i think it was it it was one of the marketing devices that was used to promote the movie so i don't think it acts as a big spoiler but sweetwater was one of the films i wanted to get caught up on before the show and i just Just didn't have time yeah yeah but yeah all right that's number three number three we're getting to the end of the list here man moving pretty quickly i got uh Two movies here that I'm kind of, it's hard for me to decide which of the two I like more, but I have to pick one. Okay. So one of these is going to have to be my favorite movie, Western, modern movie, Western, and the other one is going to have to be second place. Yeah, we're, we're going to put it on your tombstone. This is the one that takes second place. came out in 2007. It's starring Brad Pitt and Casey Affleck. It's The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford. His children didn't know how their father made his living or why they so often moved. They didn't even know their father's name. He regretted neither his robberies nor the 17 murders that he laid claim to. And on September 5th, 1881, Jesse James was 34 years old. Can't believe I'm sitting with none other than Jesse James. Many's the night I stayed up, my eyes open, my mouth open, just reading about your escapades. They're all lies, you know. It is interesting the many ways you and I overlap. You're the youngest of three James boys, and I'm the youngest of five Ford boys. You have blue eyes, I have blue eyes. You're five feet eight inches tall, I'm five feet eight inches tall. I honestly believe I'm destined for great things, Mr. James. You're giving me signs that make me wonder. Maybe your mind's been changed about me. Can't figure it out. You want to be like me, or you want to be me? Directed by Andrew Dominic, who uh, directed Brad Pitt and Killing Him Softly, and uh, the movie Chopper you were just talking about. And those are his only real movies that he's done. And this was his last, uh, Killing Him Softly was his last movie. And this movie was before that, so he has like six or seven years in between movies. Um, wrote the screenplay based on a Ron Hansen novel. And although it's a novelization, it's pretty steeped in reality. This is the story of uh, Robert Ford who killed Jesse James and then lived uh, sort of a, a carnival life after that, going around and putting up stage shows about how he did this, this tremendous deed. Now, Jesse James was pretty popular as a, uh, as a criminal at the time that he did it. 
Um, Robert Ford has a sort of a man crush on him, and uh, he gradually becomes resentful of him, and then he takes the opportunity to one day to kill him. I don't mean to spoil the movie, but the title is a spoiler. It's the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford. It's a very interesting character study of this friendship, hatred, rivalry. Yeah, it's so it's a slow burn. I think the first time I watched it, I watched it in two times speed, and it was still slow. And it was still pretty slow. But I've watched it several times since then. It just it's mes- it just pulls me in. It it's a I th- there are two characters that sort of I think aside from Casey Affleck who takes. I think he won Best uh, Supporting Actor role for this in 2007. And Brad Pitt shows some acting chops, but Mary Louise Parker as Z. James, I think, is play is the emotional center of the film, in the second half of the film. So not really the center, the, I guess the emotional three-quarters of the film. And then uh, Sam Rockwell plays Charlie Ford as a counterpart to Robert and a counterpart to Z. He's sort of like uh, another thematic equivalency there. And they're, those two actors, or that actor and actress, um, roles sort of steal the, the, the movie for me in a way. So I enjoyed watching it, and I probably enjoy watching it again. And if my dad hasn't watched it, I'll tell him to go watch it. And I'm telling you guys to go watch The Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford if you have two and a half hours of slow burn character time to Make sit sure and watch. Make sure to watch it at double speed. <laughs> yeah, you should try to watch it at double speed. Uh, but you will enjoy it if you give it its time. Yeah, and westerns are a slow burn. My number two is open range, and it is a slow burn. It it builds and builds and builds to a climactic uh, finish, group, big gun, uh, gunfight. Beautiful country. Man can get lost out here. Forget there's people and things that ain't so simple as this. How long have we been riding together, Charlie? Nigh on ten years. Mm-hmm. You know what to call that? Call it a decade. I always hoped somebody gentle and caring might come along. I'm not who you think I am, Sue. My name's Denton Baxter. You know, folks around these parts don't take the free grazers. Always been country plenty for man and beast. Times change, Mr. Spearman. Most time a man will tell you his bad intentions if you listen. Let yourself hear. You reckon them cows worth getting killed over? Cows is one thing. But one man telling another man where he can go in this country is something else. Uh, this is from director Kevin Costner. It also stars Kevin Costner. It also has uh, Robert Duvall and their buddies. And they end up having to uh, seek revenge against a corrupt lawman and all his cronies. Gene Hackman? Not Gene Hackman in this. <laughs> but uh, that type. Yeah, and there's lots of just talk about you know the Western life and the open range, big sky. Mm-hmm. Uh a lot of talk about gunfights and you know who do you shoot first and it, it it's seeped in that western tradition has all the tropes in it mm-hmm. um the the love interest who begs the men not to go off and fight she loves them and you know doesn't want her man to get injured but right. he, he's got to do what a man's got to do and I, I like all that uh they're the scared townsfolk who you know want to be brave but they just need a hero that they can trust in. Mm-hmm. You know, that is open range. This was another film I went and saw with my father, and we both enjoyed the heck out of it. Uh, I thought it was a, a television show. Open range? Yeah, but I guess not. It's a long movie, though, right? Yeah, it's, it's over two hours. Yeah, he does. Costner usually does pretty long movies. 
Kevin Costner loves scenes with Kevin Costner. I think he said that he wouldn't do this movie without Robert Duvall, though. So uh, Robert Duvall is the linchpin. Yeah, I mean, one of the problems with Kevin Costner is he puts himself in every single scene and you can kind of overdose on Kevin Costner. Robert Duvall balances it out. He's a great yin to uh, Costner's yang. <laughs> Costner's yang. I mean, and they make a wonderful duo. I would love to see them do some westerns uh, together. You know, do a whole bunch. Not necessarily, you know, playing the same characters, but... Well, you don't have much more time with Robert Duvall, I hate to tell you. No, but... Uh, He's bef- getting a little long in the tooth. Before the show, you were asking me, you know, who is the great Western actor, mm-hmm. it, you know, when once we get rid of Clint Eastwood. I mean, of course, Clint Eastwood has that mantle, but right. probably Eastwood's not going to be doing too many more Westerns. And I instantly said Kevin Costner. Right. He's been in so many Westerns that I enjoy. Well, so. uh, Wyatt Earp. Wyatt Earp, uh, Quicksilver, or not Quick Silverado. Silverado, yeah, yeah, it's a good one. He, uh, they filmed this in Canada, and the town that they filmed it in, he built from scratch because he didn't like any of the shooting locations, at a cost of a million dollars of his own money, Costner's own money. So I like the guy that's the artist that's willing to put up his, you know, put up or shut up. And Costner has a vision, and I mean, when it works, it it works fantastically. Dances with Wolves. I can't remember. I remember seeing it. When I, you know, what what year was this? Oh, like two thousand three, two thousand. I don't know why. For some reason, I thought it was on the on the television. Maybe I saw it on uh, HBO or something. Fantastic film. All number right, two. Pick. All right, that leaves us with number one. And it seems to me like we're heading towards the same pick. I don't know. Uh, maybe not. This is one of the movies that goes over really well in the film class. It uh, came out in two thousand ten. It's written and directed by uh, Joel and Ethan Cohen. It's the remake. Of the movie starring John Wayne, True Grit. Mr. Cogburn, in your four years as U.S. Marshal, how many men have you shot? Shot or killed? Let us restrict it to killed so that we may have a manageable figure. Mr. Cogburn? What do you want, girl? I'm looking for the man who killed my father. Man's name is Tom Cheney, and I need somebody to go after him. What's your name? My name is Maddie Ross. Rooster Cogburn, one of the great movie uh, characters of all time. It's a tough U.S. Marshal who helps a steady, uh, sorry, a stubborn teenager, Maddie Ross, track down her father's murderer. Uh, this movie stars Jeff Bridges playing the role of Rooster, which was played by uh, John Wayne, the original True Grit. Matt Damon plays LaBeef. I thought he did a pretty good job in this role. And uh, Josh Brolin plays Tom Chaney as the, the the murderer of Haley Stanfield's Maddie Ross's father. And uh, this was her first movie role also. I think she was only 13. I read somewhere there were 46,000 entrance tapes that were sent in. Wow. Yeah. And she got, you know, called back for the show and went out there and... She nailed the role. Yeah, she, she nailed the role. She's wonderful in this. Do you know Donald Gleason's in it, too? I think I remember. Yeah. Him and uh, Barry Pepper plays Lucky Ned Pepper. <laughs> uh, this movie is not necessarily a remake of the original film in as much as it's a, a, an adaptation of the Charles Portis novel, True Grit. Have you ever read that book? No, I have it's not. It's pretty good. And I have to tell you, the Coens are probably the best directors at, at adapting a book and keeping the book intact. 
it's like whatever you can visualize when you're reading a book mm-hmm. is what they put up on the screen. It's hard for them, their vision and your vision not to collide in in that sort of uh, nether world that exists when you're just reading a book. They did yeah. the same thing with No Country for Old Men. And uh, when I read, I read the book, this book after I uh, watched the movie and I was, I was amazed. It was like I was watching the movie again as I was reading the book. Yeah, no, I'm not discrediting your thoughts. I would like to read a book before I watch a Coen Brothers movie to just see, because I've read No Country for Old Men, but it was only after I'd seen the film. So yeah. I couldn't help but think about the way things looked in the film. Um, This wasn't your pick though? Nope. It's not your number one pick? Not my number one pick. Oh, crap. What, what am I thinking? I had to go with my number one director. Wes Craven? Not, not Wes Craven. The Coens aren't your number one director? No. Oh, I think I might know. Yeah, no, this this about. is from director Quentin Tarantino. All this right. is uh, Django Unchained, <sighs> starring Jamie Foxx, Christoph Waltz, and Leonardo DiCaprio. Uh, with the help of a German bounty hunter, a freed slave sets out to rescue his wife from a brutal Mississippi plantation owner. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. There ain't no grave can hold my body down. Good cold evening, gentlemen. Amongst your inventory, I've been led to believe it's a specimen I'm keen to acquire. When I hear the trumpet sound... What's your name? I'm on a ride right out of the ground. Django. Then you're exactly the one I'm looking for. Hey, stop talking to him. Calm down. I'm simply a customer trying to conduct a transaction. Last chance, fancy pants. Oh, very well. You kill people, and they give you a reward. Hmm. Better they are, bigger the reward. I need your help. I'm looking for the Brittle Brothers. However, I don't know what they look like, but you do. (laughs) Don't you? This is probably my second favorite Tarantino film. Inglorious Bastards? Yeah, I think Inglorious Bastards is my favorite, but then again... I went back and rewatched this film, and then I saw Inglorious Bastards afterwards. So probably with Tarantino, my favorite film is whatever I last watched of his. Oh, I see. Um, I I just his style. It's hard to nail it down. Uh, the way he does dialogue, I love Christoph Waltz. I want to say he's the best working actor right now. The problem is Zero Theorem. Yeah, I only love his films that he does with Quentin Tarantino. Huh. Um. He, he is fantastic as this German bounty hunter. Uh, the other thing that Tarantino does is he films one of the most terrifying scenes I've ever seen on the screen. It was also the funniest scene. Followed by one of the funniest scenes I've ever seen on the screen. And that uh, uh, parallelism, the yeah. way these two scenes run together yeah. and how they're you know put back to back, the contrast makes each one better. Um, this is the famous scene with the uh, KKK right. riding the over this scene. film. Yeah, and they've got these yeah. torches. And I could only imagine what that would be like if you were looking out your cabin window and you see <laughs> right. all these guys running uh, or riding on horseback. And it's followed by them trying to get their hats on. Right. And Which is hilarious. I saw this in theaters with you, and I was afraid this would be the last film we ever saw together. <laughs> yeah, it's possible. If I watched it again, I might have a heart attack. Oh, you were laughing so hard. And I think afterwards, we had to go 
and, and just sit down and talk about this film for like three hours. We probably talked about the film for as long as the runtime is of it yeah, and yeah. just breaking it down and just praising it and just all the scenes, the dialogue, the way things were shot, edited. It, it is a wonderful piece of work. I am over the moon excited about Hateful Eight, which is coming later this year from director Quentin Tarantino. So this doesn't bother you that it's pre-Civil War stuff and sort of surrounding that idea? It was no, set in Mississippi. Doesn't he go to Mississippi to rescue? Yeah, but I mean, he also seems to go out west. Okay. Uh, it's a so bit you're of flexible a, with yeah, that it's role. a bit of a cheat. Uh, as, and that's how you threw me off. Yeah. You threw me off the set yeah, that you did I, I by design. Like, oh, nothing pre Civil War in here. <laughs> it's gotta be it's gotta be west of the Missouri. Yeah. But that, doesn't the Missouri run run east to west anyway? Well at, so. at some point they're west of it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, when it ends. <laughs> All right. Uh but yeah, no, I I, I love this film. I mean I I I love a lot of the films on your list. Um Well Quentin Tarantino said that he doesn't consider himself to be a Western movie director because he thinks you have to do three films in every genre. And he's hinting at doing another Western. So I'm so, already pretty excited about his third Western movie. And I haven't even seen a second Western. I, I wish Tarantino did films more often. I yeah. Mean, he says he does like one every three years. And then, uh, they're just kind of waiting around for the actress to get old enough to do kill bill three. Yeah. But I mean, that's the same problem with, uh, your number one, the, Co- you know, the Coen brothers film. Yeah. They're not in any rush to put out films. They do what one every three or four years. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think they need to do another western so that they could be considered uh, fit into Tarantino's definition of western directors. Gosh, yeah, they're but they probably won't. They're probably going to do a sci-fi or something next. They always mix up their genres. This next thing they're doing is in uh, Ancient. February. Yeah. Ancient no, it's, Rome. it's Hail hey. Caesar, but it's set in like 1950s. Oh, I thought it was no. ancient. No, I think it surrounds the uh, the the Red Scare. That's fine. I, I will go yeah. watch what, whatever the Coens want to do. That's fine. Whatever Tarantino wants to do, that's fine. All right. So this is not a Civil War uh, thing, but um, consider top Western. So my list from bottom to top. Number five, I had Dead Man and Slow oh, West. Very good. My number four movie was The Homesman. Then followed by The Missing and Assassination of Jesse James by the Coward Robert Ford and True Grit. Those are my top five movies. My top five, Man's Board, is <laughs> The Quick and the Dead, 310 to Yuma, followed by Appaloosa, then Open Range, and the number one film, The Greatest Modern Western, Django Unchained. <laughs> okay. Any honorable mentions you want to throw out there? You think that you... Uh, the first 20 minutes of Seraphim Falls. Okay, I'd say the first 45 minutes of uh, Ride with the Devil. Yeah. Yeah. That has one of the best, like a guy gets his, uh, an appendage shot off and someone gets shot through the face. <laughs> There's a pretty good scene in that. It's Ang Lee's movie. It's crazy. I've never heard of it until this weekend. Yeah, no, there, there's some pretty brutal gunfire in that. What else? Anything else? <sighs> I would have had Cold Mountain on here, but I consider that a Civil War movie. Yeah, um, if we extended it and we could do Modern Westerns, No Country for Old Men, uh, your number one pick from last year. The Rover, yeah. yeah. That kind of works as a Western. Um, the Killer Inside Me, did you watch that? No. That has uh, Casey Affleck in it, too. 
and they're calling it Western, but it's only because it's set in the West, although he plays like a morally corrupt sheriff. It's pretty good. Um, and then finally, The Three Burials of Mechiliades Estrada, Ooh. which is actually a really good movie, it's, but I wouldn't consider it a Western. It's set in the uh, Texas-Mexico uh, border. Does and this, it's got Tommy Lee Jones in it. Yeah, and this is your third Tommy Lee Jones film, so does this make him a Western actor? And my second, uh, uh, Barry Pepper. Yeah. Uh, you know, actually, that's a question I have for you. So we talked about it a little bit before the show. I say that the, other than Clint Eastwood, who's still alive and working, but the quintessential actor who's still alive and working now for um, Westerns is Tommy Lee Jones. And I think once he dies, then there's going to be a big gap that will it'll be hard to fill. I, I don't, I don't really, I know your argument is, uh, Kevin Costner. I, I haven't seen him do anything since open range. Wow. Whereas Tommy Lee Jones has put out three or four movies, three or four Westerns since then. So. Okay. Fair enough. Uh, what if Russell Crowe comes and does a third film? So I had him on two of my films, quick and the dead and three Ten to Yuma. Yeah, but he just doesn't seem that interested in it. I tell you who is interested in it. Kent, uh, Kurt Russell. Kurt Ooh. Russell's going to be in, uh, he's considered to be part of the remake of The Wild Bunch. So he might be in that. And he's going to be in uh, Hateful Eight. He's going to be in Hateful Eight. And he's also, they've already done a movie uh, called A Magnificent Death from a Shattered Hand, which is Thomas Jane's first directing uh, hmm. movie. And they're just looking for a, uh, a distributor right now. So it's got Kurt Russell in it, Thomas Jane, and Nick Nolte. So. I like it. Um, our listeners should write into the show if we've overlooked an actor or, you know, they can just weigh in and let us know. Is it Tommy Lee Jones, Kevin Costner, Kurt Russell? And they can do that by emailing the show. Or Haley the, Steinfeld. Haley Steinfeld. Uh, at the Laugh Podcast at gmail.com. They can tweet us at the Laugh Podcast or message us on facebook.com slash the Laugh Podcast. Uh, we had a listener, Tony C., write in uh, about last week's show on uh, Cop Car. Listener feedback. Yeah, he said, um, the movie reminds me a lot of Mud with Matthew McConaughey, kind of like a modern Mark Twain story with Huck Finn and Tom Sawyer. And I guess I could see those two kids as being a uh, analog to oh, okay. Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. That makes sense. They have a nice little interplay. Uh, he also enjoyed the scene with them uh, with the bulletproof vest. Yeah. So. All right. Thank you, Tony C. Yeah. Yeah, So if if you go watch any of these films, please write into the show. And uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. We'll read that on a section here, listener feedback section. The listeners want to know also what happened with the. uh, We never really mentioned the uh, box office challenge. What else? <laughs> yeah, I got destroyed. Total victory. We're not going to do another challenge till next year, right? Oh, we're not going to do a winter one? Are we going to do a winter one? What will be the point? Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I'd it like to do it in the spring and summer. <laughs> so we'll do it in the spring and summer. The question is, if I take Star Wars, can you take three movies combined that yeah. will beat it in the opening weekend? I get... You get th- any three movies you want. That's being released from now until the end of the until uh, January first. Can you get three movies combined that will beat Star Wars opening weekend? That'll be the bet. I, I got Star Wars. Can you give me a week to think about oh, it? Oh yeah, well, you give us our answer next week. And we're gonna do the. And show. it's just the first week total or first weekend total. 
yeah, excluding any Wednesday release, Wednesday, Thursday, if it comes out on a Wednesday, that doesn't count. So it has to be Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Star Wars also. I don't know what Star Wars. No, I don't know what Star Wars. Star Wars might be opening on a Wednesday. I don't know, because I was thinking Hunger Games, but I think that comes out like Thanksgiving weekend. So I think it's opening on like a Wednesday. Yeah, well, there you go. <sighs> yeah. All right. I don't know. I think you might have to like spot me five movies. Uh, three. To make it fair. Yeah. Four would be interesting. No, Come I, back to me with, yeah, a, with, a, with a proposal. I'll, I'll do some research, stuff. but just to make sure everyone's clear, I took down the summer movie blockbuster challenge. Well, I had the spring blockbuster challenge. Yeah, and I had last yeah. year's summer. All right, so now we got the winner. <laughs> I, I'm a got champion. The I am summer's champion. Uh, you are spring's champion. <laughs> congratulations. Like All right, it. so next week's show is going to be Teacher of the Year, right? Yep, and available then, Redbox, iTunes. Yeah, you should go check it out. And I'm going to watch it tonight, I think, and then I'll be able to give you some feedback pre-show. Uh, we're going to also do these the winter preview right coming up oh uh, yeah for the, think, our most anticipated films so yeah, i think that's in weeks. two weeks yeah so if you want to give us some feedback on that that would be pretty cool too yeah if, if there are any films you're looking forward to and want us to preview yeah. uh send in those uh titles the laugh season is winding down our first full year is is gonna be up after this weekend right yeah this is we're, we're one year in this iteration of laugh yeah, I think we're going show. to hit 100 episodes right around Thanksgiving uh, weekend, so we will have much to be thankful for. All right. Well, this is from uh, The Unforgiven. Little, little Bill Daggett said, You just shot an unarmed man. Bill Money says, He should have armed himself. He's going to decorate his saloon with my friend. So for Mr. Two Frames over there, It's been a pleasure. I'm the L-Train. Pox that bone him, everybody. There be dragons. Just but the bad stuff. Oh yeah, it's all, all right. coming out. Wow, it's like a pop zit. Hmm? <coughs> it's just good it's on crackers. crackers. All right, it's the good stuff. Yeah, Slap Podcast. I'm the host, Mister Two Frames. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Woo.